Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It is your local community radio station here in Brisbane on the lands of the Jagera and Turrbal people. My name's Andy and I will be hanging out with you for the next hour. And this week on the show, we are going to be talking about unions and workers. That's right, it is May Day. Uh, This Sunday is May the 1st, International Workers' Day. And of course, this Monday will be the public holiday. And as ever, the uh, Brisbane Labor Day March Parade and celebration will be happening starting at 10 a.m. at the corner of Turbot and Wharf Streets in Spring Hill and finishing at the Brisbane Showgrounds in Bowen Hills. Um, Next week will be the fourth four-day week in a row for people in Queensland um, following Easter and Anzac Day public holidays as well. And that's worth remembering too as we commemorate May Day, of course, It does celebrate those who fought for the eight-hour day. And when they did it, they weren't fighting for the right to um, the grind, you know, or the hustle. What they wanted was to work less. They wanted um, lives that didn't revolve just around working for money. Eight hours of um, work was meant to be equal to eight hours of um, relaxation and play and uh, family time and passions. Um, as well as eight hours of rest. And so I think it's worth remembering when we have these four-day weeks, we could have this all the time. Um, There's so much of the work that goes on in our society is completely useless um, or detrimental um, or even the work that's good, it stresses us out, it's inefficient. Um, there's unemployment rate of 4 or 5%. You know, we could spread out those jobs between more people. There are all kinds of reasons why you could say we should be spending less of our time doing paid work when, as it happens, it seems like we're going the opposite way as people get side hustles and unpaid overtime goes through the roof with... Um, uh, working from home and uh, smartphones, meaning you can take your home, work home and all kinds 
of things like that. So I feel like a good way to commemorate the Haymarket martyrs and everybody else who fought so hard and long for the eight-hour day is to be asking questions about what is the nature of work and should we be doing it as much as we are or should we do less? If it's 140 years ago since people uh, got the eight-hour day, why are we still working eight hours a day? Did they envision that it would be stuck that way forever? Um, So anyway, all kinds of questions. that are part of, I think, broader questions that we should be asking about work and unions. And today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Michael Clifford. He's General Secretary of the Queensland Council of Unions. And I spoke to him because I wanted to ask some questions about um, what is, what's the nature of union organising uh, has it changed? Does it need to change? Once upon a time, you know, the Australia was a heavily unionised workforce. Now we're down under 15% of the workforce unionised. The nature of work has changed with casual work and things. And um, the, I guess people are less used to being part of civil society groups and unions sort of seem less relevant for all kinds of reasons. You know, you hear about unions all the time and uh, corruption scandals or labour branch stacking scandals and uh, it's understandable not wanting to join a union if it means that your union dues are lining the pocket of some overpaid corrupt Labor Party hack, um, which, let's face it, they sometimes are. I didn't ask that question as directly as that to Michael Clifford, but we do talk about some kind of uh, existential questions about the union movement and where it's at. And I think um, it is... Unions have been historically incredibly important in the fight for a better world for all of us. And ultimately, it's one of the things that so many of us have in common is that we are working together on certain projects, you know, certain jobs, but also together as a class, you know, we're forced to work to survive, to pay rent and to to get by. And, um, and so... This is a big commonality for a lot of people, and but also it's a, a power that we have. You know, workers do uh, keep the world turning, the essential services and the non-essential ones as well. Um, we are the ones that um, that do all these jobs, and so um, we can organise collectively about how to do them better um, and how that work can go to a better world altogether. And so I. Um, I've never been heavily involved as a, a union organizer or anything like that. It's never been where I've directed my activism, but I'm a believer in the the power of unions. And so I thought it would be good for May Day to check in with the Council of Unions and um, talk about where it's at. Uh, and then I also, after Michael, I'm going to share a few thoughts on uh, what it means to be working class. And I guess... Uh, the way that this idea has kind of changed through time and the way that maybe we can learn from some of those struggles of the past that are commemorated in things uh, like May Day. And as I mentioned earlier, I did speak with Michael Clifford, Secretary of the Queensland Council of Unions, for a bit of a a May Day uh, interview. Let's have a listen to Michael. So, uh, Michael's a big day for the unions coming up with May Day on May 1st. Do you want to start off with uh, telling us why is May Day significant for unions and people at work? 
Well, here in Australia, it's uh, started really as a celebration of unions winning the eight-hour day. Um, in Queensland, it's um, been a, a public holiday for a very long time, for over a century, uh, and it was um, celebrated here, first of all, in Bar Calder, um, but then spread to Brisbane and around the state soon after. And it's really moved from being a celebration of the eight-hour day or the winning of the eight-hour day to a celebration of uh, all of the achievements that working people have won through their unions. And uh, what kind of achievements are we talking about here? Um, well, there are many. Um, so uh, we've got a 38-hour week. We've got in... Most places, a five-day working week, that hasn't always been the case. So the fact that we now have weekends for many workers uh, is an achievement by working people through their unions. Uh, annual leave, sick leave, long service leave, uh, job security arrangements like redundancy pay if people lose their jobs, uh, a whole raft of health and safety uh, um, provisions that keep people safe at work. Uh, have been won by unions and by workers through their unions. Uh, superannuation uh, is another achievement of the trade union movement. Um, just about everything that you point to uh, in you know the benefits that people receive at their work uh, have been won at some stage by the trade union movement. Parental leave, uh, family and domestic violence leave is one of the newer entitlements that people have won. The list goes on. Mm. And this is, I mean the power of a union, I guess, getting together with workers collectively. I mean, how does that work? How has it traditionally worked and how does it look now in a more casualised workforce? Um, it's changed a lot, Andy. We've, um, uh, probably a couple of decades ago, most of the conditions that we enjoyed came through our award system. Awards are basically documents that provide conditions of employment right across an industry. So you'd have unions would go out and sort of fight enterprise by enterprise to win things like, um, you know, accident pay. We talked before about annual leave, um, carers leave, those sorts of things. Um, and once they'd won those in a good number of work sites, they would go to what was then the Australian Industrial Relations Commission, which is now the Fair Work Commission. So it's an independent uh, body that operates a little bit like a court, um, they would go there and make arguments to uh, flow those conditions on across a whole industry. So, uh, for example, if um, annual leave had been won in a certain number of workplaces, you would make the argument that this is now an industry standard and should apply across the industry, and then the Commission would make a decision on that. And in that way, many of the conditions that we enjoy today came about once they were in a particular industry, they would then spread to other industries in a similar fashion. That is, that people would go and make applications, other unions would go and make applications to have those conditions spread right across uh, their industry, and then it became a community standard. In the early 1990s, we saw that uh, the first move away from that to enterprise bargaining. So instead of conditions being won right across the industry, people were expected to fight for conditions on an enterprise-by-enterprise -enterprise basis. Uh, there were certain protections and, you know, strengths in that system in the 19, early 1990s, but it's 
It's basically changed uh, since then. Um, John Howard came to power, tried to make bring in individual contracts. Uh, um, so again, taking a step away from us being able to create conditions right across the community and making them individual, unions fought against that. We killed that legislation in 2007. We got new legislation uh, soon after that. Um, but uh, now what we're seeing is a whole lot of conditions having to be fought for workplace, workplace by workplace without an ability to spread them right across industries and right across the community again. And that's created a real problem, I think, for working people uh, in Australia and a real problem in terms of advancing our conditions. And that's one of the things that unions are fighting for is to try and make sure we get better laws to allow us to create decent community standards. The traditional idea of unions in Australia, I guess it's tied to this like Buckhold and Shearer's strike kind of idea or like picket lines at, you know, mines and factories and things like that. Um, how accurate does, is that and how useful is that for our current, you know, workforce? Uh, well, it's it's true that the uh, industries have changed dramatically and... Um, you know, in part, that's resulted in union decline in a number of places. So we've had real strongholds in certain areas, uh, like manufacturing, for example. But the manufacturing industry has taken a real hit in recent decades, and that meant that union membership has taken a real hit as well. So unions need to and have been moving out into new areas of work, and uh, that in itself has created some of those challenges. So what we see now is uh, jobs in the gig economy, for example. Now, many gig economy workers are not covered by those industrial instruments that I talked about. They're not covered by enterprise agreements. They're not covered by awards. And they're not even considered employees. So the consequence of that means that for a gig economy worker, they're not getting superannuation, they're not getting workers' compensation insurance, they're not getting penalty rates if they're working on weekends or working late at night. Um, and in too many cases, we're hearing where they're not even getting minimum wage. Um, so one of the things that we have been campaigning for is to ensure that there are more secure jobs in a whole range of areas. Uh, but um, certainly we're focused on the gig economy as well as the level of casual employment that there is around at the moment. Uh, we want more secure employment. We have got some good commitments from the Labor Party to try and address uh, that secure employment issue. For, you know, the working class in uh, Australia in 2022, what are the big issues around workplaces that unions are working on? Um, so there's there's a couple of big issues that the union movement as a whole is focused on. One of them is um, stagnating wage growth. So we have some of the lowest wage growth that we've ever seen in our history. Uh, and there are a range of factors behind that. But we really need to be lifting wages. Uh, that can happen through enterprise bargaining, but it requires a whole lot more government action um, to make sure that we address uh, the wages crisis in this country um, so that people can keep their head above water. Um, the Morrison government, for example, has actively tried to keep wages down. They've done that by voting against legislation that has sought to restore penalty rates, so they've cut wages for some of the lowest-paid people uh, in the community. Um, they could have backed the aged care case in the Fair Work Commission to give aged care workers 
higher wages, uh, but they haven't done that. They've made a choice not to back aged care workers in that respect. They could be making submissions to the annual wage case, which is a case to lift the minimum wage and minimum award wages for millions of workers across the country. Uh, but again, they choose not to do that. They could be a model employer in the public sector, which employs hundreds of thousands of workers, uh, but they've been keeping wages very low. They've got a purposeful strategy to keep wages low. Um, so we need to turn that around and we need better bargaining power to be able to do that. So there's an issue with the legislation that unions and workers have to operate under, which really is designed uh, to try and rob workers of their power. Uh, we need to turn that around too and make sure that workers get power back to fight for better wages and better conditions and flow those conditions right across the community. The second big issue that we're fighting on is secure employment. Um, we are seeing record high levels of casualisation uh, in the country, but it's not just um, casualisation. It's also things like temporary employment contracts, which lead to insecure work where people don't know, you know, from one year to the next whether they're going to have uh, their jobs. So we just see temporary contracts being rolled over and over and over again, robbing people of the certainty that they need. I talked before about the gig economy, uh, where people don't have employment security. And uh, labour hire firms we're seeing increasingly being used to casualise the workforce and to drive down wages. Um, so we've been fighting for policies like same job, same pay, uh, which uh, the Labor Party has committed to, um, so that you, if you do outsource your work to a labour hire firm, um, then the workers have to be paid the same amount, which really robs companies of the incentive to be outsourcing their work to labour hire. So those are the two really big, broad issues, wages and secure employment that um, the union movement's fighting on at the moment. One of the things I think about a bit is um, the eight-hour day struggle that workers had, um, and that's close to 150 years ago now or more in some industries. Uh, what about you know, reducing the working week further. You know, we're such a stressed out population. More time off, more time to do things we care about, more time with family. Is that something that the union movement thinks about? Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the last big wins that we did have in the commission when we had a system that allowed us to uh, win conditions through the awards and flow right across industries was the carer's leave case. So that was to, you know, before that, people would have to take their own sick leave if their child was sick or if somebody in their household was sick or if their parents were sick. They'd have to take their own sick leave and lie about... Um, uh, they'd have to say to their employer that they were sick. Uh, so we fought to make sure that we got carers' leave so that people could take that time off to care for their families. Of course, it's unions that have won um, all sorts of leave and the most prominent, I suppose, is annual leave to give people the opportunity to... Um, spend time with their families and spend time in the community. And that was what, you know, when we won penalty rates, that's what that was about as well, to make sure that we created weekends where people could spend time with their families and spend time in the community as well. Um, we do need to reignite some of those fights. So the pandemic has seen a number of countries around the world uh, experimenting with four-day working weeks, um, lower working hours. Uh, this is a debate that we need to be having. We need to fix things like insecure employment. We need to fix things like low-wage growth, but we also need to be looking to the future about the sorts of working hours that we have and even things like 
annual leave. Like we won the fourth week of annual leave back in the 1970s. It's time for us to be having a look at that again. And of course, another big issue that will come up inevitably in this coming election is the issue of jobs versus the environment and things like that. You know, is that something as well on unions' radar about weighing up that balance and how to how to transition into cleaner jobs or things like that? Yeah, we've um, the union movement's always been involved in social issues. Uh, climate change is, um, of course, a huge issue, and unions have been part of the debate in this area for many, many years. Um, and unions have been talking to their members who work. Uh, in coal mines, in the energy sector, about the future in those industries. We recognise that renewables uh, are a growing area of energy production and we recognise that we need to be creating secure jobs in those areas. That's the thing that we're talking to government about, is there needs to be investment in these areas. There needs to be investment, though, that actually creates secure employment. Uh, We hear still too many stories where, for example, um, solar farms are being built using labour hire before the pandemic, in particular using um, people on visas uh, who were on incredibly low wages with no job security. We think that we need to be investing in renewables, but we need to be doing it in a way that creates secure employment for people and decent wages and decent jobs for people. So that's, that's our focus. We also need to be supporting communities uh, where um, we expect there will be a transition. And this is not just in the energy sector. This should be true of any major area of employment where uh, we see uh, a shift. So where we've seen um, plants in the past in Newcastle or in Adelaide that have been closing down, unions have been front and centre of those debates to make sure that those workers uh, get retraining and uh, get jobs in other areas. And again, that's got to be a focus wherever we are. Well, the last thing I want to touch on is, I guess, the idea of um, what a worker is and what, like, I guess so much now it gets drawn into culture wars, this idea of elites and hardworking, you know, quiet Australians or something like this. And once it would have been a a higher proportion of workers that were unionised and, um, you know, various things have changed that. I guess, what is a worker, you know, and what can the union movement do to keep standing up for working people, keep using, you know, collective strength for for working people in an era that's quite different now to even like the, the 1980s when the union accord was signed, but certainly quite different to some of those glory days of eight-hour day movements and things like that. Yeah, I think when people think about unions and, you know, workers, people often think about uh, blue-collar workers in particular, and it's certainly true that many of the conditions that we've won have come through the old Building Workers Industrial Union, as an example, which is now part of the CFMEU. Um, uh, the Meat Workers Union was responsible for advancing a whole range of conditions, superannuation for workers. The Maritime Union's the same. Um, The nature of unionism has changed a little bit. So our biggest unions now are female-dominated and white-collar unions. 
Um, in Queensland, for example, the biggest affiliate of the Queensland Council of Unions is the Nurses' Union, and the second biggest affiliate is the Teachers' Union. There are still very high levels of union membership uh, in, those, in those sorts of professions. In terms of what we need to do to ensure that workers have power uh, and to ensure that unions are effective in, in representing their members and getting wages and conditions uh, for their members and for workers generally, is first of all to change the laws that we are currently operating on. Um, these laws are designed to stifle workers' power. We see it uh, in the way that industrial action can or can't be taken, how it's restricted just around bargaining periods, and then there's a whole lot of bureaucratic nonsense that, and you know, and hoops that unions have to jump through uh, before they can take industrial action. Um, those, uh, those sorts of things are things that we need to address to ensure that working people have more power and we need a bargaining system that allows us to move conditions right across the community, not just to win them enterprise by enterprise and that's where they stay um, because that's resource intensive and it does not empower workers everywhere. What we find is we have really you know, some strongholds uh, of union membership where we get really good conditions but then in lots of other areas where there is low levels of membership or no membership, those conditions get undermined. Um, and that's a real problem for everybody. Uh, and it's a, it's a system that is basically taking us backwards. So that's the first thing I think that we need to do. To your point about what is a worker, well, I think, again, we traditionally think about a worker as, as a wage earner and a salary earner. Um, but... Uh, again, the, the concept of this is changing. There are a lot of people with working class consciousness who are earning salaries. I used to work in the finance sector union and there were some reasonably high paid people uh, there who were extremely good unionists and would fight to make sure that the conditions were right for everybody around them. Um, so I think when we define what's a unionist and what's a worker, uh, one thing is it's about wage earners um, that secondly, it's about the consciousness that people have and where they decide they stand on the issue of workers' power. And importantly, one of the things that we strive for is to make sure that there is a, uh, a better distribution of wealth. We are seeing the workers' share of gross domestic product decline more and more, whilst we're seeing capital's share of gross domestic product and profit share increasing. We need to turn that around our primary objective is to make sure that more of uh, more of workers' output goes back to workers. All right. Thanks very much, Michael. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? No, I think that's it, mate. Thank you. You don't want to give a final plug for why people should join the union? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, look, people should join a union for a whole range of different reasons. One is that we operate on an individual basis where people have difficulties at work. Unions are there to represent people to make sure that they get a fair deal in their workplace. We're there to make sure that at an enterprise level, we can get decent conditions of employment, uh, that people can bargain more fairly when you've got a union behind you. At an industry level, it's unions that are fighting to make sure uh, that um, industries have what they need. So, for example, the Metal Workers Union has done a hell of a lot of work to ensure that manufacturing uh, in Queensland is rebuilt. And you'll see this as part of the Labor Party's platform in the upcoming federal election. 
So trains are now being built again here in Queensland that would not have happened without the lobbying efforts and the campaigning efforts of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. Many unions have been campaigning uh, to ensure that procurement practices in Queensland, you know, that when government spends its money, that that money is used to create secure jobs. So again, at that industry level, there is a whole lot of good work being done by unions and people should be a part of that. Um, but really being part of a union is about getting together with your mates, getting together with your work colleagues uh, and building a better workplace, a respectful workplace, a safe workplace with decent conditions of employment. Creating a better world is what the union movement is all about and we'd like people to be a part of that. All right. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks, Andy. See you, mate. On the paradigm shift, it is May Day coming up, the uh, day where we commemorate the Haymarket martyrs who died, uh, were killed back in 1886 um, as part of attempts to suppress the uh, movement for the eight-hour workday. And sometimes I think the uh, workers' movement and radical politics in general gets a bit caught up on these ancient figures um, in the union movement and ancient ideas of what it means to struggle in the workplace. And I've tried to dispel that a bit in the interview I did with Michael Clifford where we talked about what does it look like in 2022. But I also think there are useful things to be picked up from, from history and the way that people organized at that time for making a better world. And I think one of the things that's interesting is to talk about what does a class analysis look like and the people like those at Haymarket, people in Australia who were the first in the world both to in a single industry to get an eight-hour day and also a, a legislated across the board eight-hour workday in Australia what were the things that were motivating them to do that organizing and to get those wins for everybody and is that useful for us today in thinking about that? And I think uh, it's worth talking about what that class analysis looked like and how does it compare to how we talk about working class today? Because uh, um, things change, that's all right, but I think in some ways our idea of what it means to be working class has changed in a way that is less useful for any kind of actual political organising. And by this I mean to say that the idea of being working class has been seen to come to mean an idea, a personal identity that because you're a person who grew up poor or grew up in a poorer suburb or grew up with specific cultural tastes maybe, that that's what makes you working class and that um, oppression against working class is this kind of individualistic oppression of people don't understand what it's like to to be poorer, to have um, a family that economically depends on you, to not be as refined in your tastes or manners or to not have the same opportunities for education and things like that. And this is all fair enough and it's true. And I think if you, uh, if you want to identify that way like in a personal identity well that's fine um but i think that's not what the original idea of working class consciousness meant and 
it's less useful, I feel like, for changing the world. The original idea of what it meant to be working class was seeing our economic system structured in a way that there are two classes of people economically, one of which were those who owned the means of production, the, the businesses, the tools, the factories, the shops and cafes, or, um, and these people made money by investing money that they already had into something to start up a business and then by skimming the profits off the top of the work that everybody else did. And that's the owning class and the working class are the people who don't have the capital to start up businesses and so then are forced to work for the owning class and do the productive work that makes the profits and then have those profits taken off the top of their work. And so it's a very broad understanding of what working class means. And um, that's useful because it means a lot of people have something in common. And it's useful in another way in that it is an analysis of oppression, right? In that profits are being taken off. You are always earning more money for your employer than you are being paid. And so there's an unequal distribution of the money that's being made then. Um, so it's an analysis of oppression, but it's also an analysis of power because it says that the actual work is done by the working class people. And so when it comes to having power to make a change, uh, it is the working class people who control the world who do it. and so this was where this idea of big strikes to withdraw your labor which was the actual thing that gained profits and that did all the services that we need to live and so the idea of being working class wasn't just this idea of an oppressed identity it was an idea of uh, how do we find what power we have in everyday life and how to use that power to make better world for ourselves and for everybody else who we share this planet with. And that's one thing that I feel like is missing from the recent more, I guess, individualistic idea of what it means to be working class. It's a, uh, a way of seeing the world, sure, but it's not a way of seeing the world in how we can change it. And I'll tell you one of the other things that I, I think about it is a bit lacking, and Michael Clifford touched on this as well, is that working class analysis is not a working person analysis. It's not an individualistic idea. It is a class analysis. It's seeing the world in a way of finding commonalities between people. And so then the struggle for rights at work was not just a struggle for any one individual. It was the whole class against the, the class of capital, right? The class of, of money that gets invested to make more money. And that's what's missing um, when you have that more individualistic idea of what it means to be working class. And we have seen over the last, I'm going to say, four decades, uh, the conservative political uh, class political parties mobilize this idea of ordinary working people against cultural elites um, and they've been quite successful uh, from Reagan in the 80s in the US to John Howard claiming like Howard's battlers and 
Uh, we've seen it, you know, Boris Johnson and Brexit um, mobilizing these traditional labor areas. They do it on cultural lines, and so this idea of individual beliefs is what defines you as your working class. Does that lead to a world where we're all better together? Well, I'd say it doesn't, because then the whole idea is premised on each individual being out for themselves, and there's just not everybody can win, right? If everybody fights for them as much as they can possibly get themselves, not everybody can win. And that's the, the state of the world that we find ourselves in. And so for those who um, want a more collectivist way of seeing the world, who want to organize for a world that is more collectivist based and that is more uh, just with the world's resources more equally distributed, um, if we're going to reclaim that idea of working class, I think we have to do it in a way that doesn't just see it as a set of individual attributes. Um, I just don't think that that is a useful way of framing the world to, uh, to gain anything. And that's where we can learn a bit, look back at history and learn a bit um, from the struggles of the past and try to put them into action and uh, make them useful for creating a better world in 2022. Anyway, there's a little Mayday spiel from me. Um, you're welcome. Uh, before I go, I want to give a couple other plugs. One is for, of course, the Workers' Power show, which is on 4ZZZ every Tuesday from 10 to 12, where they talk about workers' struggles going on. It's not just a once-a-year event, of course. Uh, it goes on all the time. And it's just like unions, really. If you want to be... Uh, if you want to have a voice in your workplace and across the industry as a whole, um, then you've got to be a part of it, pay your union dues to keep it all going. And same with 4ZZZ, if you want to have great independent media, you've got to pitch in and help it to happen. So I invite you to do that. And we've talked a lot about workers on the show today, but I wanted to remind us what it's really about, that life isn't meant to be about going to work, um, dragging yourself out of bed in the morning, slugging your guts out for some boss who um, doesn't appreciate your efforts and for jobs that ultimately often are destroying our planet or not working towards the ends we really believe in. Um, this is not the best we can do, right? There's a better world than what we're currently living that's possible. See you next week.